So today we actually have uh, something that's worth the price of admission to this class by itself. And that is going to be something that I think many people have been asking me recently over the past couple of days. And the question has to do with why is he not busier with the idea of empirically proving God's existence? Okay, so we're going to discuss that in tonight's footnote. We're on page 40 now. And what we're following up on is the idea of that man has an inner consciousness of God, and there is a Yitzhar Tov, right? So why is that Yitzhar Tov, like that the essence of who you are, your soul, that is connected to God, why is that not sufficient to give you direction in your life? Why do we need this very detailed instruction manual? Why can't you just listen to your heart and go wherever your heart takes you, and that will be enough, right? So that's what we're going to be following up with tonight. Rabbi Dessler, Rabbi um, Elio Dessler, who died in 1853 and was a, um, a head of school and a um, a, a, shtiach, a, um, a spiritual leader and a spiritual, uh, yeah, spiritual leader, I guess is the right way to put it, stresses that a person's selfish leanings will not totally hide the truth from him. In other words, why can we not access the truth? Because we have a Yetzir Hara fighting against the Yetzir Tov. The evil inclination is set up against the Yetzir Tov. However, it is through the kindness of the creator that every person can discover in his heart along which road lies the truth. Really, everybody has this capacity within them. But how many people actually do make this effort? In other words, it's not, it, it's not just going to happen by itself. Right? The Rambam tells us when someone has been raised in a specific lifestyle, right, it's not going to be judged as severely for doing the wrong thing because he was raised in a specific lifestyle. It's very, very hard to change. That being said, there is still a capacity to change. And when does that happen? You have to make the effort to actually discover the truth. How many people actually do make this effort? Rabbi Shamshin Hirsch points out that there have been select outstanding human beings, such as Adam or Abraham, who were at a level at which they could hear God's voice. But there was a need for a public communal revelation of God's will to assure clear knowledge of his goal for mankind. So why do we need a divine revelation? Not to teach us the existence of God and not to teach us the Torah. The divine revelation is a very limited capacity. That mass divine revelation lasted either for the 10 utterances, right? The Aserat had to grow, or perhaps only for the first two where we actually all able to hear God speak. So that itself was not the transmission of the Torah. So what's the purpose? It was to assure clear knowledge of his goal for mankind. Now, how is this so? This was vouchsafed to the Jewish people. Everything rests on the fundamental fact of God's revelation of this law, which the whole nation itself witnessed, and the direct guarantee of the divinity of the Torah and the supernatural personality of God, proven by the evidence of our own senses and passed on by a whole nation from parents to children. This is a direct quote from, from Rabbi Hirsch. And what he's explaining is that, in truth, when we try to figure out what does Judaism rest on? What's the very first principle? That first principle is the fundamental fact that God revealed the concept of the law to the entire Jewish people. Now, he revealed the concept, so we recognize that this transmission was a pure transmission from God to a man, right? To Moses. After that, all we need to know is if Moses assures us that this is what God wants, then we know we can trust him because we ourselves saw the relationship with God to Moshe. Now, why am I saying we ourselves saw, right? We didn't see it, right? So first of all, on a Kabbalistic idea, what we say is that every soul, right, was actually there at Sinai. So on some level, we did see it, right? Even if we didn't see it with our own eyes, but we saw it with our own soul. 
But additionally, the fact of the matter is, it's passed on by a whole nation from parents to children. This knowledge is passed on continuously, and that is the, the guiding principle of the Passover Seder. That's what it's all about. It's all about having an experiential event in which all five of your senses are being tickled, and which parents are recreating the story that happened when they were told from their parents and from their grandparents and so on and so forth through generation after generation. And what did they say every year? And you shall relate to your children that God took you out of Egypt, right? The other nations study nature and history without these two facts being firmly and convincingly established by actual experience, right? What does he mean? He means nature and history, right? History is almost never going to be established by actual experience in terms of like a scientific experiment. And nature also, we make deductive reasoning all the time, right? And inductive reasoning too when it comes to nature. Yet they are the most real facts among all the facts of nature and history. In other words, the, the two facts that, um, the, the important thing that really has to be, the most real fact is the fact that God revealed himself to the entire Jewish people. That is the most real fact that we can ever ascertain about history. Through the false deductions and opinions which the non-Jewish approaches have built up from their incomplete, defective basis, you run the danger of forgetting just the actual experience of those facts on whose basis alone the truths of existence and life are gained. In other words, what is the perspective? Is the perspective that my experience and life will then teach me backwards about the existence or lack thereof of a God who actually cares about what we do? right? That's one way to look at it, right? In other words, to come to it from a, a bottom-up approach from saying, this is what's going on in my life, and this is how I'm now going to approach the question of does God exist from anything that I've experienced in my own senses, right? Or I can go the opposite way around. I could say, I'm going to take it for granted. It's going to be axiomatic that because of the fact that this has been passed down for thousands of years now, that the idea of a mass divine revelation has been passed down for thousands of years, I'm going to take that for granted. And then using that outlet, now I'm going to use that to color all of my experiences and life and history and nature as we know it. It is, of course, obvious that in experiencing the forces of nature, which operate according to strict laws of causality, and the flow of history, also based on cause and effect relationships, the observer might well forget that the hand of a divine creator and ruler is behind them. Thus, we need this, uh, the revelation at Sinai to guide us towards a proper understanding of nature and history and of our place in the world. As Diane Grunfeld sums up Rabbi Shamshin of Hirsch's position, Diane Grunfeld was one of the uh, early translators of, of Rabbi Hirsch, he's an English fellow, and he sums up his position, and, and this, is, this is really it. Our knowledge of God is based on the belief of our national community, and there is no need for us to arrive at a belief in the existence of God from the observation of nature and history. The reverse is true. With our knowledge of God, we look at nature and history. Thus, we see in them the work of the God of our fathers. Our knowledge of God is not founded upon philosophical speculation or the observation of nature and history, nor is it founded upon the inner voice of our conscience, right? Which is maybe a lot of things that you might hear people trying to bring it out. And to be clear, there is a, a differing view amongst Jewish philosophers, and I, I talk about the Rambam even, that perhaps the, the deepest way to, to recognize God is through the philosophical approach, right? But that was not Hirsch's approach at all. And this is well-grounded. There were many other early 
philosophers earlier than the Rambam who took the same approach that it's not about empirical, it's not about, you know, empirical evidence or philosophical observations that could actually prove it. But it's founded on one thing, the empirical evidence of historical experience, the exodus from Egypt and the revelation at Mount Sinai. These extraordinary happenings took place in the presence of the entire Jewish people, as specifically emphasized in Devarim 4.10. Right? It says in the Torah, there were 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 60 witnessing God and are part of its national consciousness forever after. Indeed, the Torah particularly stresses the uniqueness of these historical experiences as the source of our knowledge of God and loyalty to his commandments. We learn about them from our forefathers, and this is underlined by the fact that we start the Amidah, our most personal encounter with God, by addressing him not just as our God, but as the God of our fathers. Right? Why do we say that when we start the Amidah, we start the Shemona Esrei, what we say is Hashem, and we say, uh, you know, the God of our fathers. Why are we emphasizing that? What we're emphasizing is that we are another link in a chain, but that this chain we believe had this divine revelation, a mass divine revelation, and that is the most critical part. 